This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be visiting with the brilliant president and CEO. We're visiting today with Ramon Rodriguez. Uh, Ramon is the presidency of the Wyckoff Heights Medical Center in New York. He's going to talk to us about the medical center, about his career, and a lot more, and priorities currently. Ramon, can you take a moment and introduce yourself and tell us a bit about both your career and about the Wyckoff Heights Medical Center? Well, certainly. Uh, in brief, Wyckoff Heights Medical Center is a community hospital in terms of way we describe them in in uh, New York State, it's an essential safety net hospital. We're on the border of two boroughs of Kings County, also known as Brooklyn and, and uh, Queens, both very diverse communities. Most of our community uh, patient base is Latino, about 70%, and about 85% of the people that we see have government insurance, uh, mostly Medicaid, some Medicaid and Medicare, and some Medicare only. Uh, it's a 130-year-old hospital. I've been there 10 years, and we've uh, managed in the last 10 years to include uh, many uh, life-saving devices and services. We've improved our obstetrics program considerably and uh, have some of the best ratings with respect to C-section, lower C-section rates, uh, et cetera, which are a part of the quality measures. Um, we just, in the last six months, brought uh, two robots. Uh, and with our community, they don't travel much. They stay in the community. So being able to have standards in the industry now, access to uh, services and equipment is very important. We, uh, it's been a tremendous success. Uh, last two years, we've had uh, PCI uh, and have been able to save the lives of uh, about 275 people in the last year. And our outcomes are top in the United States of America. And our plan this fall is to bring in um, a, um, another life-saving access point, which would be to deal with stroke, uh, to have the ability to engage for large vein uh, trauma and to support our community instead of having a two hour uh, trip, which is, you know, it's difficult to get around New York City. Instead of a two hour trip, uh, in our case with PCI, with our cardiac catheterization program, it's 30 minutes from door to uh, the PCI uh, program. With myself, uh, uh, I'm uh, a New York City born and bred uh, in New York City schools, except that I had the good fortune to be a law student uh, and to graduate from DePaul College of Law and to live uh, in Chicago uh, for three years. I drove a cab. I worked at night at a parking garage. Um, and it was those days when you could get low interest loans and work a little bit and be able to afford law school, which I think is probably hard to do today. I loved my time in, in uh, Chicago, and I think it's a great city. Ramon, take a moment on the transition of career. You talked about going to law school, uh, you know, doing all kinds of things during, during law school to pay for stuff. And, and one of the true travesties of, of the American education system currently is the cost of higher education, which is a whole separate discussion, but maybe we'll indulge that for a moment as well. Because when you went to law school, when I went to college and law school, 
you could pay for it with side jobs, with summer jobs, and you could literally pay for your college. And today, tuition's gotten so out of hand at the academic institutions that people are settled with debts forever. And I, I'm not for or against the student debt relief program, but I am for trying to figure out how we make college tuition and graduate school tuition a heck of a lot cheaper because that has just gotten out of hand. But let, let me ask you a question about this. Your transition from lawyer, from side jobs, to president and CEO of Magnificent Health System. Talk about that career trajectory and, and how you traverse that. Well, some of it, uh, at least how I got to those places, I think the first and most important aspect is I worked in government. Uh, I, I left uh, I left DePaul to become a, a legal aid lawyer to practice criminal defense work. And within three years, I, I guess I'd gotten a reputation and um, there was a commissioner in the state of New York who was a very interesting person. He was looking for someone to run his counsel's office. So uh, I came, it was a billion dollar agency. I came as a 26 year old, uh, wet behind the ear criminal defense attorney to work for him. And that changed my career entirely. Uh, I worked in government for 10 years under Mario Cuomo and Ucari. And uh, I was recruited by a neighbor in um, where I was living in upstate New York in Columbia County to uh, consider turning around a hospital in my local area, which I was thrilled about, I accepted. Uh, it was a challenging time. I then was recruited to become uh, a CEO in managed care organizations. And I ran four different nationally known uh, in the New York City area managed care organizations. And then I uh, started building my own, one in particular, very successful um, Medicare Advantage program in Puerto Rico uh, that we started from scratch and raised $30 million. Um, I'm not sure how to describe how you do what I did. Uh, I was the youngest commissioner and still hold that record um, in New York State's history. Uh, I, I think that uh, I went into those jobs be, uh, sometimes because not a lot of people wanted those jobs because they look like uh, in, the, in the place where I became a commissioner, they were going to uh, close the agency. And, and when I left, uh, we had expanded the agency's scope uh, and also its um, budget three times over. And it became a very important part of the state system. Uh, I, I think you have to be open and, and ready, but I think you're right. When I went to college, it cost $58 a semester at City College. When I went to law school uh, in 1975, uh, I didn't have to borrow a lot of money. I borrowed about $40,000. And believe it or not, during those days, you didn't have to pay any interest until nine months after you got out of, out of uh uh, law school or in college, and you started paying at 3% interest. So today there's something really wrong with the way the system has been developed. And, and uh, I think that um, I, I'm very much in favor of the federal government looking at ways to subsidize people who are trying to get an education. And I would say as well that uh, some people uh, can go to college. Some people don't have to, and we have to give them access like the European system. 
to things that would be amenable to their own uh, skill sets, et cetera. Um, I can go on, but let me just stop there. Um, I'm very interested in higher education. I was for 25 years, a member of the New School for Social Re Research uh, University and uh, left, uh, rotated off and uh, left as the chair of the Educational Policy Committee. And it was an incredible experience for me, uh, really opened my eyes. Um, of course, like a lot of people, I have two children. Uh, one of them who spent uh, $5,000 a year going to state university and the other one cost $55,000 a year. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it's very hard. I don't know how kids do it nowadays. And, and I'm going to ask you three sets of questions. One is about leadership. Two is about the Latino community and the, the shortage of physicians of Latino background and what that looks like. And third is about what you just mentioned. I know you've got a son going to engineering school and advice for kids going to school, advice to people, evolving leaders and more. But let me start with leadership. And I'll, and I'll use the background as Paul as part of this. Certain magnificent organizations have, and I'll divide this into two kinds of leaders. In DePaul, the positive Ray Meyer, of Ray Meyer, who many people won't be as familiar as myself and Ramon, Ray Meyer was this magnificent basketball coach at DePaul University, and for 15, 20 years, DePaul had top 20 basketball programs, often competing for national titles in the top 10 and so forth. Then Ray Meyer left. His son actually became the coach, and then they've been through a slew of different coaches. But, but things gradually sort of went very much in the wrong direction after one great leader. So how much of an organization's success is due to happening to have a culture that brings in a great leader and, and develops a great leader? And how much is that leader at fault if they can't develop an organization so that it's great when that leader is no longer there? Can you talk about leadership for a moment? Then we'll talk about Latinos in medicine. Then we'll talk about, for all, for all practical purposes, advice to, to emerging leaders or, or raising great children. You've got one as an engineer right now, and you'll tell us about the other as well. But, but talk about leadership and sort of like, like if you left Wyckoff Heights after 10 years there and the, and the system went in the wrong direction, even though it did great while you were there, you would view that as sort of a failure, wouldn't you? Yes, I would. And I think succession planning is always a challenge and very, very hard to do in a community hospital where um, in comparison, uh, commercially insured patients reimburse hospitals in New York City seven times higher than the reimbursement that we get. And so uh, we must be subsidized by the state of New York in order to do the good work we do. And that subsidy, unfortunately, does not give us an ability to have much room to do things uh, that could be done if we were getting paid at a rate close to or equal to the commercial rate, which I think is a challenge for the state and for the city. Now, with respect to the people that you would want to have here, I'm fairly different. I'm, I'm a unique hospital administrator in that uh, I've always been known as a turnaround person, as somebody who is challenged by uh, what other people would run away from. So I'm not your normal hospital administrator. I don't think that should be an impediment. A long, long time ago, I, I almost became a university president. Uh, and at the end, uh, they picked the person with the PhD over me with the Juris Doctor. And, you know, of course, I think they made a mistake, but 
things being as they were, this was a great experience for me uh, being a hospital leader. So first, succession planning is critical. Uh, you, you have to work on your staff. The most important thing a CEO can do besides setting uh, the direction and working with his board is to get great people and to get those great people to stay, which is really hard now. Right now, uh, we have, as an example, in an emergency department that sees 90,000 people a year. And, and we're not a big hospital. Uh, we're a 200 bed hospital in a community uh, with seven sites that we've built in the last 10 years as uh, primary care uh, and uh, multi-specialty places, et cetera. We've done a lot of work, but those people who are coming to us now because of the nursing shortage, half of our people who are RNs are working uh, as traveling nurses. We are so much struggling to get uh, adequate, consistent um, nursing leadership. And we just, uh, and you may have seen what happened in New York City, we just completed uh, a negotiation which worked out extremely well. We have a very good relationship with New York State Nurses Association, a very good relationship with all our unions, including 1199, which is part of SEIU. And we worked out something in which the union is gonna help us to recruit. Now, at some level, uh, just to sell a little bit, because we're on a, a train line that goes right into New York City called the L train, it has become an access point and has made Brooklyn a much more accessible place uh, for people who first go there because they can afford to go there and then others come behind. And in Bushwick, where we are, it's a very vibrant area. So we're gonna use that as a way to attract nurses as we have done successfully in attracting physicians and other leaders. Uh, I, I'm here for another five years. And one of my biggest challenges, the thing I, I really uh, want to make sure happens is that uh, we succeed in a transition that works. And uh, we are uh, very much interested in working on that. I'd say with respect to Latinos in this community, uh, Latinos are the largest single group of people in New York City. Uh, it's it almost as close to 3 million. We also have uh, in this area, a lot of people who have migrated from other countries, the Yemenis, uh, other folks from uh, Eastern Europe, uh, very big Polish community, not like Chicago. Uh, and all of that has created a, a wonderful environment in, in this community that uh, maintains its vibrancy and at the same time, people are moving in and in empty lots in places that used to be factories, uh, new people are coming in and building housing uh, that they can come to. They're not replacing as much like in other areas, um, the folks, the poor folks who get priced out, although that's an issue. Uh, the most important thing is to be available to the patients, no matter who they are. Uh, we had a residency program and we still do have, have a vibrant residency program. When I started as an example, the internal medicine residency program had uh, as residents, two people who were bilingual. And we look for people who 
are bilingual, not only in Spanish, but in other languages that are prevalent in these communities. Right now, 55% of the residents who come to this hospital uh, and to learn uh, how to be doctors, although they're already doctors, uh, are bilingual. Uh, that has helped us a great deal. Uh, we're lucky to have people who work with us who also are bilingual. Um, and that's a very important thing when people are in extremis, when they are sick, they come to the emergency department or they're inpatient, acutely ill, to be able to communicate with them. Uh, and I'm, I'm lucky to say that uh, we've done, uh, I think, not the best job, but a darn good job getting that done. Uh, the final question you, you asked, I, I forgot. So remind me. Well, uh, let, let, let me tell you what that is. The, the last question is, you had mentioned you, you have a son who's an engineering student at IIT, a magnificent school here in Chicago. Talk to us about, you know, what does it take today in this very complicated world to, to raise terrific people? Or what advice would you give to emerging leaders, you know, it, it, it's sort of combination of those questions, advice to emerging leaders, but, but similarly, advice to our children or we want to be constructive adults. What, what advice do you give to young people or emerging leaders? Well, I, I, think, I think the first thing is we grow up, we mature at different rates. Uh, I think today's uh, people uh, takes them a little more time than it, than it was when, you know, I'm 69 years old uh, when, when I was uh, at that age bracket. But I want to make it very clear um, I wasn't meant to go to law school. Uh, I was uh, going to follow my father's footsteps, who was a dental technician. He had migrated to this country. He raised us. Um, but uh, we fought hard, and my father and mother uh, and my grandparents, who, uh, because both my parents worked, they also uh, were very much involved in, in bringing me up. And it's all those values that you talk about that are commonplace uh, that you need to consider and continue. But here's an, here's an important thing. I'm not afraid. I think you have to have courage. You have to make sure you look yourself in the mirror and say, I can do this. And I'll just, I got admitted and accepted at DePaul College of Law. I was on a waiting list the last week before term started. I drove out uh, in my mother's car with whatever belongings I had together with her. Uh, and when I got here, it was a kind of an old, <laughs> I don't remember, an Opal, I think it was. And when I got there, my mother said, I'm giving you this car because you need a car in Chicago. And, and so I, I got here and, and really just to finish off, the first months as a law student, I was completely um, unaware. I, 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 didn't, I couldn't figure out what was going on. And it didn't hit me until around Thanksgiving where everything started coming together. Um, I read a lot. Um, I care deeply about my community and about the things that we do together, but I never give up. And I think that's the most important point I would raise with anyone that if you have a focus, you want to do the job, even sometimes if you don't even like what you're doing, do the best you can and don't give up. So I, I, I love that. And I love the entire story, the whole arc of the career, the sort of going to law school. I, I just visited with a young man 
who was sort of the last to get in, got into the special program at the University of Michigan, uh, and now just got admitted to Harvard Law School, something that when his parents saw him admitted as the last kid off the waitlist at Michigan as an undergraduate, no way in their wildest dreams they think he'd be now going to Harvard Law School. But, but what a wonderful evolution and development from the last in at DePaul University to the chief executive officer of one of the most important safety net hospitals in America. Uh, it, Ramon, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your story. What a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Anytime. Call me anytime.